Welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is your host, Josh Summers, and it is a great honor and pleasure to have you and your attention for the show today. Um, before I give you today's episode, which is a talk plus a guided meditation, I just want to share, and this is really something that Terry has been uh, urging me to do, is just to share some testimonials from members of our practice community online called the Riverbird Sangha, as well as testimonials from people who have taken our trainings, um, just to give you a feel for the feedback we get um, and maybe to inspire you to consider joining our Sangha. So uh, before the testimonial, just to say that our Sangha, which is an online uh, practice community focused on the practices of Yang Yoga, Yin Yoga, Qigong, and meditation. And more and more, we're looking at explorations for how all of these four practices integrate with each other, how they reinforce each other, and how they provide, my hope is that they provide an, a low-key way of exploring a comprehensive practice for waking up, growing up, and cleaning up. Um, and a lot of our members um, that join uh, come from the podcast audience. So I'm speaking to all of you, the members that are supporting the podcast. Thank you. Your membership supports all of our work. We, um, we, would, we wouldn't be here without you. Uh, but primarily, we are dependent on listener support. Um, and this testimonial comes from one of our members who's been with us for a few years now. She says, I found the Riverbird Sangha from your podcast, and it's, a, it's totally changed my life. So much for the better. I can't imagine where or how I would be without the Sangha and you and Terry. And that's just a short, sweet one that, that really uh, encapsulates a lot of the feedback we get, that people find the practices, the support in their practice, the community of practitioners just invaluable to their own development. And um, where some sanghas are focused around a particular teaching or a particular teacher, we really, Terry and I, view the, the, the sangha as a guild of teachers and students and practitioners. So there are many teachers in the group. Um, uh, there are many sincere students. And we feel privileged to be able to facilitate practice and conversations around practice. So if you're interested in any of that, do check out the show notes. There's a link for you how you can join us for two weeks for free. Um, we also give you a free copy of my ebook, The What, Why, and How of Yin Yoga. And we have a very comprehensive library of introductory practices, tutorials, things to get you started so that when you join, you can practice anywhere at any time, um, however it suits you. Now, today's talk uh, is the beginning, my attempt to begin a deeper dive into looking at the beautiful qualities of heart known as the paramis in Buddhism, but the beautiful qualities of heart that develop and emerge and grow as we practice with dedication and sincerity. And this talk is really about looking at how we can organize our space, our external spaces, our living spaces, our practice space, and also our internal spaces of how we organize and, and, and um, prepare our body as well as preparing our heart to be aligned with the 
journey into the center of our practice, which is to realize a peace independent of conditions. So um, there's a lot of buzz in the Sangha session this morning around this talk. A lot of people had some great reflections to share, and um, I'm grateful for that feedback and, and communication and community. So if you would like, again, to join, do consider joining the Riverbird Sangha. If you've been a listener of the podcast for a number of years, um, I just want you to know you're not alone. There are many people that listen, and then you know it might take several years before they say, you know what, I think I'm going to join. I'm going to make this year different. And maybe you'll feel that you also have a maybe a small change in your life. Maybe it doesn't have to be a total change of your life, but a small change of improvement through consistency and support. And that's what we're here for. Um, so without further ado, I'm now going to give you today's talk, Tending the Temple. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Good to see you all here. Um, we're here for our first practice of the week, our meditation session. I'll offer a few reflections. We'll sit, we'll talk about our practice. Um, and in terms of general housekeeping, uh, if I just want to mention that last Friday, uh, Terry and I co-taught the monthly practice and discussion. And um, that practice is now in the library, the, the Sangha library. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out, we would recommend it. Um, we're, we introduced uh, kind of in a simplified way some of our core practices um, that I think will relate to actually in some ways to, to today's theme, although I'm not going to speak to those relationships explicitly. I'm going to leave you to connect the dots between last week's practice and today's theme. So what is today's theme? I've loosely titled the talk, Tending the Temple. Tending the Temple. And the word temple is specifically drawn from the book, the PDF ebook that I'd sent, sent out a few times written by the Thai forest monk Ajahn Suchito, referring to the qualities of mind and heart that we can cultivate in practice to help us uh, cross, in, in the traditional metaphor, cross the floods of existence, the floods of sense desires, views, opinions, reactions, conflicts, so these are the ennobling qualities of mind and heart that ripen on the path. And their ripening is essential for the development in each of us, for the capacities of steadiness of presence and clear seeing. Or in meditation jargon, shamatha, a steady, clear presence and insight, the wisdom that comes from clarity of seeing. And these terms are always used in context with um, contemplative practice, contemplative development. Uh, so if we get too caught up in semantics, like, well, what does this term mean when I use it in this other context, it means something else. 
we have to remember, and I just always always want to emphasize that we're speaking on these this language uh, in the in in reference to the contemplative path, the development of our awareness, consciousness, heart, and um, beginning next week, which is the first week of March, uh, I will be starting to move more methodically through that book by Ajahn Sachito called Parami, uh, really devoting a, one quality of heart, one of these paramis, one of these uh, ennobling qualities uh, to a month. And the first month will be on generosity, and we'll move into uh, ethical guidelines and, and ethical frameworks known as sila or the precepts, and we'll, and we'll just progress from there. Um, and so really, so far this year, January and February, I've been offering preliminary reflections to sort of set us up, to set us up for this, this deeper dive. And, and the theme today of tending the temple um, is in reference to how we use our space, how we organize our space, and how that supports and reinforces our abilities in practice to grow. And so if I were to articulate the intention, the intention is that it, it behooves us as yogis and yoginis, that is practitioners of not just yoga, but of broader dharmic themes, the practitioners here, it behooves us to always take inventory of our life. You know, the, the common language is what's serving us, what's not serving us. But to look closely with, you know, an eye on our external space, our internal space, our consumption habits, what's serving, what's not serving, what's supporting, uh, in a contemplative context, what supports simplicity, contentment, and calm. What supports simplicity, contentment, and calm? And these qualities of simplicity, contentment, and calm, on one level, are preliminaries that support our awareness to gather, to settle down, to become rooted in presence, non, in a non-distracted non-dispersed uh, way. And that is the, a benchmark of a prerequisite necessary mentioned in all these traditions, but it's a, it's a benchmark of prerequisite capacity for any contemplative insight to unfold. So simplicity, contentment, calm. Um, and I try to, in this talk, I just want to highlight maybe three or four areas that we can all consider and I recommend considering. And the first is just our external space. And that refers to the way I'm using that phrase, the external space of your quote unquote living area, your house, your apartment, your room, and how that space is tended. 
And as I reflected on this, I've been reflecting on this in general for a few years in particular, because having moved to Maine, uh, or, you know, as I've tried to say from time to time, our life is, our life here is very much like being a staffer at a retreat center. You know, we have the, the we're removed from a lot of the um, in the world activities, going to restaurants and, or having social gatherings and, um, just out in the world type type of activity and focused on living more or less uh, at home, uh, practicing as much as we can and sharing as much as we can of about practice. But as a staffer at a retreat center, there's a lot of uh, maintenance type jobs required. And if you've been on retreat, you know that you get assigned a an hour's worth of work every day called a yogi job that helps the upkeep of the a retreat center. So, you know, various of my yogi jobs include vacuuming floors, cleaning toilets, moving wood, things like that, prepping vegetables at times, or cooking. Um, and as I vacuum up from time to time, it, it, I get memories of what my relationship to my yogi job on retreats used to be like. And this is not very flattering, but I, I, I looked back and I remember, uh, I think I've said this before, but when you go to a retreat, you know, you register in, there's a long queue you go through. And then at some point in the queue, they, they, they say, well, which, which job would you like? Would you like to do wash dishes? Would you like to clean toilets? Would you like to sweep floors? Would you like to mop the dining room? And, um, after doing a few retreats, I got hip to the fact that if you got there early, if you arrived at the retreat center early, you could have your pick of yogi job. And I was—I had done enough retreats to know that some yogi jobs didn't take the full hour. Some yogi jobs could be accomplished in a half hour, which left more time for practice or more time to get another cup of tea or a cup of coffee. So I would often show up, you know, an hour or two before the doors to re registration even opened, <laughs> be the first person in line. And uh, at times I would select jobs like emptying office waste paper, waste paper baskets. Because I'd just take a big trash bag and zoom in and out of everyone's office in the, in the administration area and teaching area. And I could be done with it in 25 minutes. And I always resented if I was carpooling with someone when I, and I would show up late for the registration and then get assigned like mopping the dining room floor at the end of the day, which was an over an hour job. It took over an hour usually, and it was very labor intensive. And you had to pick up all sorts of rubber mats and move chairs and dealing with sloshing buckets of water. And And even though I jump through these kind of silly little hurdles just to under the delusion of thinking that if I had a better job, I'd be happier. Or that if I had a shorter job, I'd have more time for practice. It would inevitably occur to me that this was just nonsense. And the nonsense was flowing from a very common view that there is some sort of differentiation between life and practice. 
that real practice is somehow sitting on the zafu or the cushion, or real practice is doing walking meditation or yoga practice, and everything else is just sort of inconvenient things that need to be done so that I can get back to real practice. And then, you know, over the years, I, um, I sort of grew up a little bit around that and would ask when I would register for retreat, what job could I be of service to you for? You know, the, the halo started to appear around my head. As, I'm now a generous yogi here to do whatever I can to serve the greater good. Um, and, and I noticed that, I noticed something in particular um, in addition, a couple of retreats that were led by monastics, um, I was able to, at times, be an attendant to the monastics, which meant that I would help put together their morning tea tray and breakfast and carry it to them and offer it to them um, at their mealtime. And I noticed that when I had that exalted job, when I had that job of serving the monk, serving the nun, that uh, I gave an extraordinary attention to detail. You know, not I didn't want a single bit of fleck of dirt on the tea tray. I didn't want a single drop of tea splashed outside of the teapot. And I had just a much, um, much more... Uh, concerted effort that was brought to that job. And then if I would do another job, like say vacuuming the floors, I noticed I didn't have that same kind of, that same degree of care being brought to the task, which brought raised the question like, why am I dividing things up? Why am I bringing such, you know, a heart spirit of, a, of care to one activity? versus the other. And so I've been reflecting on this at home. Um, and I mentioned briefly that one of my jobs here is that I am um, in, in charge of vacuuming floors for the most part. And uh, without getting too much to details, you, you know, the, what I've noticed is that um, when I'm really mindful of doing the job, I, I notice myself constantly bargaining with how deeply am I going to vacuum today? Meaning around the edges of rooms, there's always, you know, plants and uh, like, like a, a, a little table or a bookcase that might have legs under it, or there's a tripod here or a standing lamp there. And not everything can be reached by the the um, the nozzle of the vacuum that I have, as is, you know, if I don't move anything, it's I can't get into every little corner. And there's this sort of ongoing bargaining, like, well, I did it last week, I moved things out, and I I did the deep clean last week, so I'll give it a miss this week. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just noticing the the games my mind plays around. When am I going to do a job that's quote unquote half assed? And when am I going to do it wholly, wholeheartedly, completely? 
so on one level, I'm just trying to remind myself and all of us that uh, it's, there's a great danger in seeing any division between your life and practice. And that if you really sincerely hold the aspirations at the heart of the Dharma, which is an awakening, a liberation of heart and mind from suffering, that that delusion of separation needs to be challenged and confronted again and again and again whenever it arises. Whether you're waiting in line, whether you're stuck in traffic, whether you're driving kids somewhere, whether you're getting groceries, washing pots, wiping down your counters, cleaning toilets, vacuuming. It's all practice. It's all an opportunity for practice. Now, the, what I have noticed, uh, and I hinted at this in the newsletter, is that there is something that I've noticed that when external spaces are tidy, clean, cared for, um, it does, it's an external form that supports contentment. It supports a sense of ease. Um, I've practiced in, in my space when maybe it hasn't been vacuumed recently and there's my favorite word, detritus lying around. There's wood chips and ash and just a bit messier. And I know that, that if I'm really attentive, that has an influence on the, the way I show up for practice, the way I show up to, to sit. And times where it's where the, the area that I practice in has been brightened, but it's cleaned, maybe there's a, a plant or a photograph of somebody or something, someone significant or a candle lit. But when there's attention given to the practice space that, that conditions the way I uh, come to the practice, the way I, I arrive to the practice. And that brings me to wanting to just briefly reflect on uh, a challenge that I think householders, which we all are, as far as I know, I don't know any monastics here, but as householders, one of the challenges we face with practice is um, the schedule, having a schedule for practice. And I want, I would recommend, I'm doing this myself and I'll share more about it as we go, but looking at establishing to, the, to whatever degree you can, some kind of regularity. And, and, and making a commitment to regularity. And as I say, making a commitment, I would uh, add in the phrase, the clause, be firm but flexible with that regularity. So have a firm intention to practice regularly at a specific time or times, um, but don't, uh, some, someone said, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Don't be so rigid that if you miss the, specific time you establish that that you feel like you can't practice it, I'll be flexible with it. So for example, this morning I had the intention to sit for a half an hour before this talk. Um, my preparation for the talk ran over a little bit and I only had 15 minutes. So I sat for 15 minutes with sincerity rather than, you know, I, I, I was flexible with that. But as householders, this is really a challenge because, uh, if you're on retreat, if you're a monastic, this, there's a set schedule. Bells get rung, 
You know what to do when the bell is rung. And um, the schedule is laid out for you just to simply fall in line with it. And as householders, we're responsible for establishing parameters of that schedule ourselves. And, um, and so we have to set it up and uh, that can be a challenge to find a, a regularized or routinized way of, of showing up and giving our full attention to formal practice. One way, um, if you have, if you write out your daily schedule, just to write in these times in advance, to, not, to basically not, not to try to fit it in when it works on the fly. Fitting, trying to fit, think, practice in on the fly. I, um, I realized long ago doesn't really work. At least it doesn't work for me. And right now, I'm my my meditation practice, my yoga practice is pretty pretty set. It's been set for years, but I'm trying to. Uh, establish a music practice again so i'm trying to get back in the habit of practicing my my saxophone and um i i just see in my own attempts around this that uh so far i've pretty much followed the i'll fit it in when i can strategy <laughs> and um, as a result my practice schedule has been spotty it's been inconsistent it's not uh, where I know it, I want it to be or it needs to be. So uh, one just tip, one thing to consider is establishing uh, time. And, and we'll be, when we look at, start to look in the precepts coming forward, um, you know, one way to look at this is just when you take an inventory of how you are spending your time, particularly in the mornings and evenings when you're outside of work, and outside of maybe family obligations, um, you know, I've I've spoken about this for for a while now, but I've I've seen my own time sink in screens, and and have tried to work at developing better relationships to screens, keeping them kind of boundaried in a particular space, so that I'm not just reactively getting lost in them all the time. But the same thing could be said for you know larger screens like television or music, consumption, none of which is bad. But given the limited time we have in our life, um, and if our aspiration is at the heart of the Dharma, um, I think it is helpful to, to really look at where, where can I pare down my own schedule around the intention of simplicity, of contentment, being content with less, and what I mean by here, by content with consuming and doing less, to open up space for um, Dharma practice to deepen. And on a psychological level, letting go of anything um, activates what's called loss aversion. And the basic principle of loss aversion is that when we let go of something, we, we feel the loss twice as much, twice as painful as we would a comparable gain. So losing $20 feels like to the brain losing $40, whereas gaining $20 just feels like gaining $20. Losses are 
weighed twice as heavily as gains. And this is um, something I've been aware of quite recently. You know, Terry and I are experimenting with just having, after dinner, doing some walking meditation practice outside and sitting and reading Dharma or practice something to do with practice. But practicing more in the evening rather than getting into Netflix, uh, Amazon shows, etc. And um, so I'm 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 reporting from the front lines of trying to do this. And there's a, a there's an initial feeling of oh, this is not so comfortable. This is a, there's a there's a almost a, a dryness or a barrenness of the simplicity that doesn't feel pleasant at first. But um, I think my own experience of just, and Terry's experience, but doing retreats has, has always proven to me that there is a peace that's available that's, that far, far, far exceeds the pleasure of sensory pleasure. There's a peace that the practice leads towards that is far more pleasant than chasing experiences. So uh, I mentioned my, my efforts around developing a, a music practice. And uh, last year, I, I, I had a little bit, I got to, I was fortunate to spend some time with a, a saxophonist who was very influential on me, um, just a wonderful, wonderful human named Horace Alexander Young, who was the musical director and lead saxophonist in, in Abdullah Ibrahim's band for many years. And I mentioned, you know, Horace came to me and he said, when I saw him perform, he said, are, are you playing Josh? And I said, I'm having a hard time practicing. He said, just leave the horn out. Don't put the horn in the case. Leave the horn out. And there's something to that. In our Dharma practice, uh, my suggestion is, and this is what we talk about in the Buddhist playbook, um, which you have in your members section of members resources. But the idea of leaving your setup, your meditation setup visible in your home, whether it's in your bedroom, which is where it was for me for, I would say, 15 plus years, um, or in a section of your living room, if you have that kind of space. But leaving your setup, however simple, leaving it out so it's visible in your day-to-day. -day. And it's just reminding you of your own commitment. And it's much easier to just sit, out, sit down on something that's already set up than it is to pull something out of a closet or pull something out of a corner and then sit down. I know it's just one extra step, but that one extra step can, can carry so much friction to it. <laughs> and so I just, you know, what I'm really getting here is inviting you to look at how you're designing your, your space, both in general of your home and specifically around your, your practice area. as helpful supports for cultivating simplicity, contentment, and calm that comes from that. 
Now, those are some external ref reflections on the external side of practicing. Internally, with our bodies, you know, the, the practices that Terry and I are sharing, um, more and more we're, we're, we're trying to frame the, the intentions of these practices is that we are stimulating our bodies, cultivating embodiment to promote strong flowing energy, strong chi flow, which is a fantastic internal support to some, for simplicity, contentment, and calm. If our energy is blocked, scattered, not flowing well or deficient, um, it, it just make, it, it, it makes it very hard to settle down. It makes it very hard to feel a sense of refreshment and pleasure in just being with your own being one breath at a time. So I'm not going to say too much about the internal body practices. That's what we'll, 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 we'll reflect on that in yang yoga tomorrow, yin yoga on Wednesday, and qigong on Thursday. I encourage you to check those classes out either live or through the recording. They really are a hugely beneficial support to this movement of the heart in our Dharma practice. And now what I'd like to do is we'll transition to a sitting, um, but I want to uh, offer some initial reflections for maybe five minutes or so, maybe five or 10 minutes in the, up front of the sitting and I'll get quiet, but reflections around what we can do in terms of setting up our, our intention, setting up our mindset towards our, towards our practice so that um, way it's often been phrased is so that we're, we're brightening and gladdening the heart we're softening our heart up for it's a, an ability to flow into an experience of simplicity, contentment, and calm. So I'll be um, going through a, a short list of, uh, of reflections. Um, Terry has been using the phrase uh, a flight attendance checklist. And this is, you know, a yogi, yogini's checklist of uh, views and, and cultivations at the beginning of practice that can really set the tone nicely. And I, I've gone back and forth where I do these and I don't do these. And I, I for my own self, these, these ingredients are wonderful supports for um, quality practice. So let's come to a comfortable seat and I do mean comfortable. Don't um, sit in any way that causes pain or immediate discomfort in your knees or hips. Sit in a chair. Sit on a Zafu or Zafu's. Take a few smooth breaths in and out. Inviting your mind to 
Experience the simplicity of one breath at a time. Now, these preliminary reflections that I'll be sharing can be done in the order that I'm suggesting that they can be done in any order and in your own integration of them. Maybe you, you like a few of them more than others. So pick and choose what works for you over time. But the first one I, what I wanted to mention this morning is gratitude. And in reflecting on your life through the view of gratitude, because it is a view. We're viewing our life through the lens of gratitude, which is to appreciate the good fortune we've received. That could be from teachers or teachings. Gratitude for the fact that we have all been fortunate enough to come in contact with the teachings. This is not a, a given in life. Many, many millions of people never come in contact with the teachings. It didn't need to be that way, but we did. We have received the teachings. We have the time and inclination to apply the teachings. That's one way of accessing gratitude. Another might be just to remember ancestors in our family, in our extended non-biological family, mentors, guides, beings who have given us a part of their fortune, meaning their good fortune of wisdom, care, compassion. And then maybe one more general way of kindling gratitude is just appreciating the conditions of your life that support your practice. It's very easy, and I do this myself, very easy to get into focusing on all the difficulties, troubles, problems, conflicts, wars, in the world but as a way of tempering that that 
way of looking, just reminding oneself the conditions, both in terms of our physical health, our material health, the conditions are ripe for all of us that are here to practice. So from touching into or intoning gratitude for any of these conditions. Next reflection at the beginning of setting up your internal heart space. The next recommendation is to tune into the aspirational direction of practice, which is part of uh, goodwill or loving kindness, metta to oneself. Remembering or re-recognizing the practice reveals, is moving into and revealing a dimension of well-being, peace, clarity, and compassion within ourselves. That has nothing to do with experience outside of ourselves. Sometimes it's phrases we're opening to a peace independent of conditions, independent of circumstance. Framed in this way, practice is, in my dharmic opinion, the greatest act of generosity you can give yourself. Practice cultivates, develops the conditions for which wisdom, contemplative wisdom, can reveal this hypothesis, that there's a peace independent of conditions. So I want to give you a few minutes now and just let yourself tune into your own spirit of generosity of giving yourself this gift of practice. What is your 
form of aspiration? What is your, how would you articulate this in your own words to yourself? And after you articulate it, just let yourself feel the spirit of that aspiration. through the view of gratitude for this moment of practice, through the view of remembering the direction of the journey into our own deepest experience of ourself. Final reflection I want to offer today is a combination of determination and lightness of being. The determination side is Harnessing your own determination to meet the inevitable challenges that come up when we undertake this journey. The challenges of being swept away, being caught in internal dialogue after internal dialogue. challenges of discomfort. And in meeting these challenges, firming a gentle but light attitude to let yourself be with the simplicity of what is, to become content with whatever happens.
These are practices. And where determination can often conjure images of faces that are scrunched up, screwed up, meaning tightened up and brows furrowed. The antidote to that yang energy of determination is the soft smile. So from the preliminaries of orienting our heart through gratitude and kindness and determination, my final suggestion is feel an energetic hint of a smile in your eyes, throughout your face, And with that softness of presence in your face established, then tune into your breathing. And breathe in a way, in and out through your nose as much as possible. Breathe in a way that supports comfort. In the, my yin practice, I speak about the pleasant body jellyfish breath. can do that here or just whatever way supports you to breathe in a way that's comfortable. When a challenge surfaces, a flood, a current, a dialogue, a discomfort, recognize it, relax, re-smile, Simplicity, contentment with this. About 30 of us on the call, all engaged in this practice. And there are countless thousands of people right now on the planet in their own sanghas, their own meditation apps, meditation practices. doing their practice too. So in this network of yogis and yoginis, may these practices support our heart to come to simplicity, contentment with the moment unfolding. Okay, as always, I hope you enjoyed the talk. I hope you enjoyed the guided meditation. Um, I hope the prompts and themes support you in your practice. And uh, again, if you would be interested in 
furthering your practice with us. The Riverbird Sangha is an open, inclusive online practice community with four weekly classes in meditation, yang yoga, yin yoga, and qigong, a deep, rich bank of classes and tutorials and introductory overviews in the library that we offer members. All of this is available to you for a modest monthly sliding fee, depending on your means. We have a scholarship fee, a beneficiary uh, fee, and a sustaining, uh, I should say, we have a scholarship fee, a sustaining fee, and a, and a, and a benefactor's fee. Um, so you can look at that on, on through the link in the show notes. Um, and we also have an upcoming training that I just want to noti- notify you about called Purifying Water. Terry and I have been talking about this in our Chi Chats. So if you haven't heard any of our Chi Chats yet, we have two out and we have more coming soon. So stay tuned for that new series of conversations in the podcast where my friend of mine was giving me crap for talking about Terry as my partner. He said, it sounds like a weird, sketchy business relationship. Um, And I take that... take that as with the spirit that it was intended. I don't really know what to call Terry. We, we are probably getting married this year where we've been engaged for a while. Um, and calling her my partner does sound a bit odd, but so does calling her my girlfriend. So does calling her my fiance and probably calling her my wife will also feel strange just because Terry's my everything. Terry's my, um, my, my business partner, my life partner, my soulmate. Um, she's an all in one, everything for me. And, um, I don't think I lack the proper term for it. Anyway, we would love to practice with you. We have a new training coming up called Purifying Water. We've been talking about it in our cheat chats. And uh, this, this new training is, is very exciting to both of us. It feels like cutting edge material that we're offering and sharing from our own practice. And we've been noticing tremendous number of positive benefits People who took our monthly uh, extended practice last Friday also reported similar benefits that they're noticing. So if you're interested in that training, it's a four-week, 20-hour course. You can do standalone, self-paced with pre-recorded materials and the option to come into live sessions with us once a week for four weeks. If you can't make the live sessions, not a problem. Uh, Those recordings will be available as replays in the course. So you could really do this on your own, in your own time, um, learning how to grow a unique yang yoga practice specifically tailored to your body's unique needs, combining that yang yoga practice with the benefits of self-massage, gua sha massage for lymphatic drainage, which purifies a layer of water in the body that helps the chi flow better. And from that flowing chi, moving into deep pranayama practices that um, really help soothe the mind's calm the heart, and prepare the stages, prepare prepare the body-mind for stages of insight to unfold. So uh, we're excited about it. As you, Hopefully you can hear my voice. We'd love to have you join. Sangha members always get 50% off all our trainings because we feel like the, the information in the training is one thing that's important, but practicing with the material in an ongoing way, i.e. a weekly basis with us in the Sangha, helps cement or solidify what you've learned theoretically into your own lived experience of practice. So I'll leave it there. Have a great day. Look for more, um, look for more Chi Chats coming soon. I'm also releasing a weekly conversation with um, a, either a, an esteemed teacher, colleague of mine, or uh, some other notable guest 
So there's deep conversations on the podcast, guided meditations, chit chats with Terry. The podcast is growing. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your practice. Share it with a friend if you like. Um, leave a review if you can. And most of all, have a wonderful day. Stay safe out there. Keep practicing. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.